episode Loaded nine. Oh. Does he sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second. Oh, my God, what a <laughs> scandal. Austin Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck yeah. the lot of you. <laughs> Austin Eckler. He's making me like I'm some sort of cameo. Like, I'm coming in and go, and out the bag, England to win. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of Loaded Sport, where today we're going to be previewing the weekend's action. This includes the return to Six Nations action. We're also going to be looking at uh, Kempi's Combat Corner, another edition of that coming up for you. The eighth person is joining us to take on the listener lock-in. And also we are previewing the first piece of silverware of the football season that is up for grabs. And that is the EFL Cup Final. Joining me to go through it, a big welcome back to a bloke that's uh, missed, I think, the last couple of episodes, but hopefully he's back and raring to go. Skin, it's good to have you back with us. I've uh, I've, I've I've missed the last couple of uh, review shows, but I'm uh, I'm still 100% for the preview show. But yeah, I'm I've uh, I've let you down, mate. I've uh, I've left you on your own as the only loaded sport member to be on every single episode, so I do apologise. But uh, I'm here, I'm here. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm all right, mate. Thank you. How are you? I'm, I'm all right, thank you. Uh, nearly the weekend, and as I say, every Thursday, I cannot wait for it to get here. And more so this week, it's just been such a stressful week. I'm ready for it to uh, come to an end and get ready for the EFL Cup. Yes, mate. I just want to. I just want to say as well. Listen to the episode earlier. Um, you know, just in case there was anything that I needed to follow up on or anything like that. And I thought you, Kemp and uh, Mudge, did a, a fantastic job um, in the review show. A lot of good talking points. So uh, yeah, well done to you, lads. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Greatly appreciated. Uh, second up. Now, we've seen this week so far the likes of Alisson, Edison and Thibaut Courtois, but none of them have as many clean sheets as the bloke I'm about to introduce. Kemp, how are you doing, mate? Mr Dawson, man with the mic. How are we doing on this fine Thursday evening? Very good, thank you. Yourself? Fantastic. Oh, mate, living every part of my dream, as you just mentioned. Played five-a-side yesterday and uh, we've been playing five-a-side as a group of friends for the best part of, how many months would you say, three or four months now? Oh, yeah. Um, or Mems, as Adam would say. I would. Uh, no, no team has yet uh, achieved a clean sheet, and because of a niggling injury that that seems to be lasting a little bit longer than it maybe should, I I went in net last night for the full sixty minutes, uh, and uh, not only did we win seven, win by seven goals, but uh, I also kept a clean sheet. First goalkeeper to do that, so absolutely yep. delighted. But I have to give a shout out to to Adam, the host of the podcast, and also Ben who played with us as well, uh, a very solid centre-back partnership and I couldn't have done it without them. So, uh, yes, I'm, I'm in fine fettle going into this Friday now. Looking forward to it. I, I will just quickly say that I wasn't there um, and I can only think that if I was there and on the opposition team, I would have, I would have at least bagged one, but we can never say for sure, can we? We, can. we can't, no. And, and, and can't. there were much better players trying. And they all <laughs> failed. They all no, failed. I- don't act so. like I'm not a baller in that number <laughs> ten role. <laughs> yeah, but you, yeah, you are a baller in that number ten role. But you need you need someone to thread it into. That's what you need. You need an out and out striker <laughs> to thread it into. And unfortunately, last night I don't think there were any. So uh, a black prime without veg horse, I reckon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Prime Val. Unbelievable. Else. Well, no, actually, else. that's that's an absolute disgrace to uh, to the big man Val because his weight rate and his Tracking back is oh, unbelievable, mate. and yeah, it's that's certainly not okay. So yeah, well, I'll take yeah. that back. He don't just point at his head and just open. <laughs> yeah. That one. But, yeah, no, very good. Thank you. Looking forward to the weekend, as uh, as you just said as well, Adam. Good, good. We start things off by talking. Aggie, Aggie. Yes. Really, uh, really sorry to interrupt you there, but I think before we get stuck into usual proceedings, there's been a, a massive 
uh, passing today in in the sporting world and, and more specifically the footballing world with the uh, with the announcement that the legendary commentator John Motson has has passed away at the age of seventy seven. Um, and I know with your radio work and your journalism and all the kind of stuff that you you do outside of this academy, you've always listed him as your as your sort of hero in that field, your main inspiration in that field. So I think it's only right that we address that, and and more importantly, I think it's only right that you have the opportunity to sort of say why he was that inspiration, why he was someone that you looked up to, um, you know, and, and give him the, the the acknowledgement and the flowers that he deserves for for a voice that was the the voice of you know at least a couple of generations. So is there anything that you want to say? Um, on the passing, but ultimately the man and the, and the career that he had. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I've tried to like at one point earlier when I first found out the news. Um, I did feel my eyes watering up a very little bit. Um, when I heard the news, because to me he he was an inspiration behind why I wanted to get into football commentary from a very young age. I remember going to a car boot and we found tapes of John Motson that was regarding how he got into football commentary, how he got the career and the way. Uh, I went home and I listened to them multiple times and I thought that that's what I want to do for a career. Um, I took a lot of what he did, how he approached games, the research that he put into matches, um, into how I do my commentary, his approach, everything along along that sort of side of things. So to me, he was the voice of football. And I know some people still have their, their points where they feel that he wasn't the greatest commentator of all time, but I'll stand by and say that for me, he was. The performances that he's put in on, on behind the mic for... Certain occasions. I mean, in the five decades that he's he's commentated for, he's covered ten World Cups, ten European Championships, twenty-nine FA Cup finals. He's covered over two thousand games in his career. Um, mate, I'm really struggling with what to say on on the back of it because I'm starting to feel like I'm welling up a little bit at the moment. It's, it's fine, mate. Look, don't don't be afraid of that. We've had so many conversations about the kind of commentators and pundits and you know anyone in that kind of field that we respect. And John Motson was always the first name that you'd raise. And sometimes we've given you a little bit of stick, you know, because similar to Martin Tyler, we feel like the new age is coming in, and you've always stuck by, you know, his body of work and and what he's meant to you. And and I've always respected that. So look, mate, just just be honest. And you know, if you get a bit teary eyed, that that's an acknowledgement of the impact that he's had on you and, and how far you've come with the work you've put in and th- there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and before you do sort of carry on and maybe it gives you a little bit of time to think about, you know, how you sum up your thoughts and feelings behind John Motson. Um, I'll be completely honest, I was, and I am one of those people, I, I never thought John Motson's, John Motson's commentary was never really for me. Um, I, I didn't enjoy it as much as, as you probably do or, or did, Adam. Um, but you, you look at his body of work, as you mentioned, over the years, the amount of games that he's covered, the impact on, on sports journalism and commentary itself. And so many modern-day journalists, modern-day sports commentators will take inspiration from, from John Watson and, and his contribution to the game, if nothing else, was, was absolutely massive. So he'll be missed. He'll be missed massively in the community. Um, and, and thoughts go out to John Motson's family and, and everybody that, that loved and followed John Motson, including yourself, Adam, because it is a big loss to the football world, no matter what your feelings were, you know, on his commentary personally. Take it home, mate. Yeah, I, I kind of echo what you say there. From what he's done within the sport, how he's kind of shaped commentary to what it is today, it's one of those old sayings, isn't it? Without John Motson, a lot of the commentators that you'd have today wouldn't be as good or even in the field that they're in at the moment. He paved the way for a lot of new people, including myself, to kind of break the way into the industry. Um, he played a big part in that. And you can he had such a synonymous voice, didn't he, that every time you heard it, you knew it was John Motson from match of the day to when he was covering games. 
um, at the World Cup. It was it was unbelievable. So uh, a great guy, like you say, will be sadly missed in the football world. Uh, rest in peace to, uh, to John Motson. Absolutely. Lovely words, mate. Thank you. Um, we do move on to talk about the latest in the football regulator side of things. We heard, of course, a couple of years ago, the situation surrounding a new Super League to be formed with some of the big sides in the Premier League, some of the big sides in Spain, I believe Germany, also were twinkled with the idea of joining as well. It's come to a headlight again that potentially this is going to happen. And now there's been a decision to bring in uh, English football's new independent regulator. And it's there to help clubs survive during tough times. It's to give supporters an extra benefit, extra voice, should we say, in the way clubs are being run. And I think it's it's not necessarily something that's too little too late when you look at the sides of Bury that have already kind of left the Football League when Bolton were very close to the situation as well. You look at uh, Macclesfield, I think, was another one that we could look at. Some of those sides that have struggled and, and seen the way out, I think this is a way to kind of stop that from happening moving forward. So it's better late than never but it's finally coming in. So, uh, Skin, I'm going to start with your thoughts. I mean, I think between the three of us, we've all had ownership, we've all had situations with clubs in the past that we support that have been struggling off the field, and it's required maybe a bit more fan input than what's been allowed. So, hopefully, this is something that will allow that moving forward. Um, well, I suppose they're two different questions. What do I think about the Super League, and what do I think about this sort of don't know what you want to call it but I suppose department that makes sure clubs survive type thing and the the second part I don't think I have to worry about as a Manchester United fan that's probably more something uh, no disrespect Adam but your level being a Chesterfield fan and you know clubs like Dover that we've seen go under recently you know it's sort of more of the level where fans might have to worry about that at some point but in terms of the Super League that's definitely relevant being a Manchester United fan as you say the, the talks about it a couple of years ago the the fan backlash was instant and and intense and you know it pretty much instantly got dropped and and now seems to be creeping back in with a slightly different idea of what it looks like compared to what it was before. I'm absolutely in no way, shape, or form for it. I think it's a way to close out other clubs to make sure that the elite are looked after in terms of the money. There there was an absolutely fantastic conversation a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember for the life of me if it was on Sky Sports. I think it was on CBS, America's Champions League coverage with, with Jamie, because it was Jamie Curry that had it, and I know he works for both. I can't remember which uh, which sort of platform it was on. But he had the conversation with the leading Spanish journalist. I can't remember his name, his name off the top of my head. But basically, he was saying that he was a fan of the Super League and, and you know ideas like that because it was an opportunity for other European leagues to sort of receive money in the same way that the Premier League are when you look at their spending compared to the other top European leagues. And Jamie Carragher's response, which I completely agree with and I thought was a fantastic reply, was that when your Real Madrid's of the world were buying every single player that was the top player at the time across all the leagues, there was never an issue. And he's absolutely right. You know, look at the Galacticos era when when they were buying your, you know, your R9s, your, your Beckhams, your Owens, that anyone that had any kind of form or any kind of talent, they were buying and dominating. And But now it's the Premier League. Now they're, you know, the most competitive league in, in at least European football, which they are. It, there seems to be a problem. I, I'm in no way, shape or form a, a fan or 
someone that wants Manchester United to be a part of the Super League. Obviously, I've got no input into the final decision, but as a fan, I don't want to see that. How it is at the moment is how it should be. The European competitions with the Champions League and Europa League are how they should be. And and I think that if a Super League was created, all it will achieve is it won't benefit the bigger teams more than it will impact the teams outside of that. And, you know, I think that will really have a, a detrimental long-term effect. But I don't know what you lads think of sort of, of people looking outside in, but that's my thoughts as, as a supporter of a club that could potentially be a part of that. Uh, yeah, I, I was going to say, I thought Kemp was going to speak then. Um, yeah, for me, it's, they've got to be very careful of how they approach this if they're going to be bringing an extra regulator in. Because whilst you look at it, from an outside that some of the clubs opted not to go into the Super League because of supporters changing their mind about how they thought it it should work. And I know clubs instantly went straight for it. And then as soon as fans started boycotting, they dropped out like almost immediately, wasn't it? It was like flies, wasn't it? Straight away, they just dropped away. Um, I think if if the Super League shouldn't happen full stop, I think that's just something that that is stonewall. The the regulatory system, or however it's going to be pronounced, I'm going to absolutely butcher the word for it. <laughs> Go on. Um, I, I think they need to be very careful with how it, it works, because if they're allowing fans more of an input into how clubs are being run, that's fair. But you've also got to consider the fact that nowadays, football is more of a business than it is a sport. And yes, definitely. And I think the issue where, and again, this kind of leans more towards your side of it, being a, a fan of a team in the non-league, is that, as much as you want an input into how things work, words don't mean anything and it's the money that makes that happen mm-hmm. and fans aren't going to provide that money. Like You could have an input, but you're not going to pay towards that and ultimately the, the clubs need the money to you know, pick up on any ideas or, or actually be a team and, and moving forward. So it, I'm not really sure what the benefit of it is because... Yes, some clubs have gone under in recent history, but it's not like many clubs are in major trouble, is it? You know, if that makes sense. Like Derby were in the summer, that was high profile. We've had so many conversations about it, especially in recent weeks, with having Derby supporters on the on the lock-in. But they, they did survive. You know, it, it was a bit chaotic, but they did survive. So, yeah, I'm not really sure of what the long-term benefits of that are, because as much as fans want to have the input, that's an opinion isn't going to help a club survive. It's it's the money that's ultimately going to do that. So, I think it's yeah, to try and avoid that situation happening moving forward, to try and cut it off before it even gets to that point. And I know you say, obviously, we're a, a National League club, it's different for us. We are we are pretty much run by supporters. We're the first charity-owned yeah. football club in, I believe, the world. So, to us... But there you go, the things. first. So, it's, it's not a common thing. It's not, but it, like I say, it's more of making sure that no other clubs go into this financial hardship under the ownership that they've got. I, I know it's going to be tough because how a supporter is really going to be able to plug in as much money as owners do into football clubs. There needs to be more, from my opinion, done when they're doing background checks on the owners that are buying football yeah. clubs. Yeah, so I'll come in on that. Yeah, then. this is um, perfect timing for Kemp's coming. No, no, well, well, yes. Yes and no, I suppose. Um, what I was going to come in and say there is so this is what apparently is to be expected by the new football indep- football's independent regulator. Okay, so I don't know what they're going to call the independent regulator. I thought that's what the FA were meant to be, but the FA are about as much use as a you know sand in the sand in the Sahara. So um, you're struggling. But apparently, allegedly, and this is according to Adam's favourite sources, the BBC Sport, 
Um, the main purposes of the proposed new regulator will be stopping English clubs from joining closed shop competitions, essentially the Super League, okay? yeah. preventing a repeat for financial failings seen at re- numerous clubs, notably the collapses of Burry and Macclesfield, yeah. introducing a more stringent owners and directors test to protect clubs and fans. And I'll come on to that subject in a second. Giving fans power to stop owners changing clubs' names, badge, traditional kit colours. I think you're kind of referring back to uh, Cardiff with the kit, kit changes and maybe Hull with the Hull City Tigers or the Hull Tigers names um, there. Um, and ensuring a fair distribution money filters down the English football pyramid from the Football League, no, from the Premier League. Okay? So apparently they're the five notable things that this independent regulator will, will do and will be brought in to do. The first one is, I think, is very important that I mentioned that I was going to come back to <clears throat> in the sense of introducing a more stringent owners and directors test. And the reason that I say that is because fairly recently, uh, it was heavily rumoured uh, that Sheffield United were under a bid and potentially being purchased by a, um, a Nigerian businessman by the name of Dozy Mbusi. So he comes in, he's, he's apparently got lots of money, lots of businesses in Nigeria, and he's yeah, looking forward to taking over Sheffield United. It then since comes out um, in, in the media that he has he owes a lot of money to the tax man in the UK. I think he's been fined or I think he's, he's been chased by um, the financial conduct authorities in the UK. And I think, as far as I'm aware, he actually passed the fit and proper owners test that was put in place by the FA. So that tells you how useful that fit and proper owners test is, as did the Bury owner, as did the Macclesfield owner, before obviously they took the clubs into eventually liquidation. Um, <clears throat> giving the fans to stop, you know, changing the club's name, badge, traditional kit colours is very important. But then you look at ensuring a fair distribution of money filters down the English Football League pyramid. What 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 is a fair distribution of money? You know, a fair distribution of money depends on your perception and depends on your yeah. opinion of a fair distribution of money there is yeah. no fair distribution of money it's just what you think is fair won't be the same as what other people think is fair yeah. the problem is <clears throat> in football today and i think we'll all agree that football the way it is is broken i think we'll all agree that wages are too high that there's too big of a gap between the premier league and between the level below um you know, you look at a Leicester from a few years ago, eight years ago now, I think it is. You know, that'll never happen again. You know, the, yeah. the gap even then was huge. But now you look at the likes of City, you know, Man United allegedly looking at being taken over by Qataris. Um, Newcastle now being taken over by Saudi Arabia. You know, it's it's yeah. becoming, it is becoming the closed shop at the top of the English Football League. And and that, again, that's been the case for quite a while. But the, something needs, something's got to give. Something needs to happen in order for things to, you know, we need to protect the pyramid. We need to protect clubs from going out of business that, you know, have been uh, taken over by owners that, that don't give a toss, basically. Um, and and we'll see, you know, do I think independent regulation, <clears throat> excuse me, is a good idea for football? Yes, I do. I think it, it, needed, <clears throat> it needed to happen because, you know, in 1992, the, 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 the club's, uh, you know, broke away from the football league, made the Premier League, and basically look after themselves. You know, the Premier League is, you know, everybody looks at the Premier League like, oh, the Premier League is shit. The Premier League is the twenty clubs in it. You know, they all get an equal say of what happens, and ultimately they all they all own the Premier League, the actual teams in the Premier League. Um, so 
something needs to come in above that to say, right, you can't just do whatever the fuck you want. You know, you need to toe the line to a certain degree because the FA aren't going to do it. So, you know, that's very important. But I think more importantly than any of that, I think is I think we need a salary cap. I think that's the most important thing. I think you need to see teams not be able to go out and spend whatever the fuck they want on players. You know, drive the price of the market up ridiculous amounts so that the rest of the clubs in Europe can't compete. And ultimately, these these owners that are basically sports washing are taking over the entire market and making it a close shop at the top. Uh, and, and nobody's giving a shit about the Macclesfields and the Burries and, and the money's not being distributed, as I said you know earlier, depending on what your, your definition is, fairly. So, yes, I think it's a good idea. Yes, I think the new purposes in, in apostrophes of the regulator are, are all sound. Um, but the proof is in the pudding, ultimately. Do they bring in a salary cap? Do they actually grow a set of bollocks and tell these clubs what they can and can't do and tell them to toe the line? Because ultimately, again, you know, that's what the FA are meant to be. And the FA are about, as you know, like I said, about as much use as, you know, Adam one-on-one with goalkeeper. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, I scored we'll... yesterday. <laughs> Adam, Adam with an open net. Can I yeah. just very quickly jump in there and play the devil's advocate card that I love to play just purely for the sake of yeah, conversation and putting it out there? You know, we talk about the, the gap between the Premier League and other leagues, but and, and the wages and salaries and everything like that. But if you look at, let's say League One. League One in the English football system or pyramid is the third league, yeah? Look at Spanish third league, Germany third league, French third league, any any third league across the world. Like, the English third league is so far ahead of those leagues that would you not argue that the focus doesn't need to be on the English football in pyramid and more so on those around them because... It is it is competitive and there is a lot of depth to it. Like, you know, we spoke about Wrexham thing in the past. Wrexham are in the what uh, Premier League Championship fifth, fifth, tier. Yeah, fifth tier. That wouldn't happen in any other country in the world where they no, would get that many no. hours on it. And, and and this is where I mean, like, I don't. Again, this is not to say this is my opinion mm-hmm. or that I I disagree with anything you've just said there, Kem. Because to be honest, I I agreed with you on the majority of stuff, but. If we're talking about the Super League and, and pundits around the world and from different countries coming in and saying, well, it's not fair that the Premier League have got so much to spend and things like that. But they, there's a reason for that because the, the eyes are on the product. And, and like you said, Adam, it is a business. The eyes are on the product and the depth of the English footballing system goes so deep compared to any other country in the whole wide world. FA Cup third round is one of the most prestigious weekends in the footballing calendar across the world because a National League team can be a Championship team or a Premier League team or a League 2 team can take a Premier League team to a replay. It's happened. It happened this year. It's brilliant this year. That's not happening in any other country in the world. No, but is that that lowering yourself to other people's standards? You know, the, 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 the worry that I've got is that the Premier League is going to turn into, you know, a Bundesliga? You know, that the same team is going to win it every single year because the way out in front of everybody else. You know, you are absolutely spot on about what you say. You know, the, the standard in League One, League Two, even the Conference, even the National League is, is a lot higher than the fifth, fourth, third, second tiers in in every other country. But you know, that's always been the case. That's not just recently, and we've seen in pretty much every other league. Can you think of another league in Europe where it's not a complete farmers league? where not one team wins it every single season. PSG, Bayern Munich, 
Ajax, um, fucking Porto. You know, yeah. you look at all these different leagues and you think, right, they're the team. They win it pretty much every season. Celtic or Rangers in the Scottish Premier League. We don't want to become that. You know, ideally, if you can make wave a magic wand, what you want is you want it to go back to, you know, the... the it's, it's but, the, but there's always been to, times yeah, where people no, there are, dominated. There are. Liverpool, Liverpool domination, you know, United, United Arsenal, Chelsea. But it's always, it's always time, been the same. Yeah, but you want that. You want to be able to write somebody come in, you know, and, and invest a decent amount of money and take your team to the Premier League and, and give it a real good go. And I'm not saying that the top of the Premier League needs to be brought down to everybody else's level. I do think there needs to be more regulation in terms of salary caps and stuff like that because it does it does inflate the market to ridiculous levels and it means that other sides can't compete. But the, the biggest thing that I think needs regulation, and I don't know if I communicated it well enough in, in what I first said, is the, the lower end of the spectrum in the sense of the fit and proper owners test being done actually correctly. Oh, yeah, definitely. No, 100% yeah, agree I do agree with that. that. And making sure that, you know, if you are... The, the TV money and stuff like that, you know... The, the sponsorship money and stuff. I know it's difficult, but trying to distribute it as fairly as possible throughout the pyramid so that everybody's got a chance that if you want to build a sustainable club and you've got a sustainable business model, you can do that. Again, yeah. I'm not saying that the top clubs should be punished and that we shouldn't have domination at the top of a league. Ultimately, if a team deserves to be a domination, it, it does. But I, I, do on, I do honestly think that we need to bring salary caps in. Um, and, and control it a little bit better because we are yep. at a risk of it getting completely out of control. And financial play, fair play is it's not worth its salt, let's be honest. Yeah. No, because when you breach but, it, you get next to nothing for it. So it's just a slap on and, the wrist. And, and, and when you breach you it, you know, it's going to take, let's say, for example, the Manchester City case. You know, apparently it's going to take a couple of years for it to even, you know, even be investigated. So by which by point, point everyone forgot about Champions it. League and won another couple of Premier Leagues and everyone's forgot. So again, it needs to happen. I'm not suggesting that the teams at the top should be brought down a peg or two or whatever, but I think A, fit and proper owners test, B, money more evenly distributed across the pyramid, and C, salary caps introduced to make sure that the market doesn't go absolutely ridiculous and you know teams and clubs are going out of business because they can't compete to, to pay players' wages. Yeah, OK, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think, like you say, financial fair play has become a bit of a... A thing of the past at the moment where people are just taking the piss out of it and to an extent getting away with it. Um, lads, thanks for your input on that. We'll move on to discuss the EFL Cup because we've got plenty of other stuff to discuss throughout uh, the course of the episode. We'll start by talking about the EFL Cup final though. Manchester United taking on Newcastle on Sunday afternoon. The first of the, the silverware up for grabs this season. So uh, Skin, I'll come to you first as a Manchester United supporter. Excited, optimistic, a little bit nervous. Um, more the first two than the uh, than the third one there. Yeah, definitely optimistic. I think if this was two, three months ago, I'd be a little bit more unsure about which way it could go. But I think with the form that Manchester United are in, and the form which implies it's bad, but it's not. But the bit of a drop off uh, from Newcastle definitely makes me feel a lot more confident. Nick Pope being missing for the game is is huge. Uh, you know, the slightly outrageous decision to handball um, or basically grab the ball, what, 10 yards outside of the box is a, is a strange one. But ultimately, it means that Newcastle will be playing with a third or fourth choice goalkeeper at the weekend. And given their recent results, where I think we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, I think it was me and you, Kemp, where we said 
they weren't winning a lot, they weren't losing a lot, they were drawing a lot, they weren't scoring a lot, they weren't really conceding a lot, and they just seemed to have had a bit of a drop off where they they might get the odd mention of you know them being involved in a race and that quickly went. So yeah, I, I'm definitely more confident in this game. Is it going to be a route? Absolutely not. Is it going to be a tough game and a Newcastle are going to be tough to break down? Definitely. But I can see a, a maybe a 2-0 win for Manchester United inside 90 minutes. A lot of the conversation around Carrius looking like he's going to be the one to be playing. And as we know, he's a little bit infamous when it comes to his previous cup final performances when he played for Liverpool in Champions League against Real Madrid. But look, he's clearly got a lot of talent, which is why he stayed in and amongst the, the top teams. That's why he's he's been at Newcastle, you know, albeit as the third choice. But yeah. Eddie Howe's going to have spent all week with his arm around him and it's a moment for him to, to redeem himself. But yeah, I just think with where the teams are currently at going into this game, Manchester United should have a clear enough edge to uh, confidently or comfortably, comfortably sorry, win. And uh, yeah, pick up the first available trophy of the season and, and what a huge moment that will be for Manchester United. We've always said it, it's the least prestigious award when it comes to certainly, say, the top four Premier League clubs at least, but it'll be such a, a, a sort of acknowledgement and a recognition as to the work that's gone in so far. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to it and, and I'm, I'm relatively confident. And what are your thoughts regarding the team selection? So when we spoke about this, when both Manchester United and Newcastle made it to the final, we spoke about how the fixture congestion was going to affect both sides differently. Of course, Manchester United still within uh, the Europa League as well. They faced Barcelona Still with a strong side starting. Last weekend, yep. when they took on um, Leicester, they started with a strong side. Again, Rashford included within that. Um, Garnacho was in there, Bruno Fernandes. Some players in there. I know Casemiro wasn't, but other than that, it was still quite a strong side that started against Leicester, a strong side that yep. started against Barcelona. Would you expect it? Obviously, it's going to be a strong side against Newcastle, but would you expect it to be a case of some of those players perhaps struggling after three games within one week? Uh, yes and no. Ten Hag has, has put in a lot of work in fitness. I, I remember when he took over in the summer and all these reports were coming out about the things he was going to do and what was going to be different. And one of the things that he allegedly allegedly said in one of his opening meetings to the players was that the training that him and his coaching team were going to put them through were going to make these players the fittest they've ever been. You look at the teams that they've played and all this, as you said there, Adam, fixture congestion. He's not really made many changes. He's played teams like a Charlton in, in the Cup and not rested players. He's played a team like a, a Reading in the FA Cup third round and not rested players. So it, it doesn't seem to be much of a concern for him. Outside looking in, you do wonder when it might break a little bit. It, like you said there, they, they, Barcelona on a Thursday in the in the Europa League second leg and then uh, EFL Cup in London on the on the Sunday and then they're playing West Ham in the FA Cup fifth round on, on the Wednesday and then they're playing Liverpool away at the weekend. So it's a tough run. It's it's all four uh, competitions within the space of a week and what, three days. So yeah, a little bit intense, but it, it seems like he's all in on everything and the work he's putting in. They don't seem to be stopping. So that second half against Leicester, they were absolutely phenomenal. Uh, so... Yeah, he's not, as you said, he's played a full-strength team against Barcelona, which you'd expect. He's going to play a pretty much full-strength team against Newcastle, as you would expect, it's cup final. And I would expect, again, because it is a Premier League team in the FA Cup fifth round, it's going to be a relatively strong side again. And then again, first league game in, in pretty much two weeks, they're away at Liverpool, the biggest away game of the season in terms of 
history and everything like that. So likely, again, to be another very strong side. So, yeah, again, at some point you would expect changes, but he, he seems to be relentless in playing his best available team to get the most out of, of the season. So far, it's paying off. Only team to still be in all four competitions. So it's clearly working somewhere. So you're saying they could go for the quadruple? Mm. Okay, oh, that's a bit strong, mate. That's a bit. <laughs> strong. We'll, we'll we'll review it on Monday. They could be out of the Europa League and lost in the AFL yeah, Cup sure, final. So, Ebel or a Upal if it's a Europa League. But uh, well, uh, apparently, well, apparently so, mate. Apparently, it yeah. Is, but uh, yeah, they could they, they could Fair be down enough. to fifty percent of those on our next episode. So we'll save yeah. it for that. Uh, Kemp, I'm just going to ask you quickly before yeah. we do move on. Um, Eddie Howe, I know you've been a bit of a fan of mm. him in the past and the work that mm. he's been doing at Newcastle. This is arguably mm. the biggest um, comp- biggest cup competition opportunity for him in his career, of course, in the final mm-hmm. with Newcastle. How do you think he's going to be preparing himself as a manager for this and preparing the players for it on the back of it? Yeah, I mean, he's he's never been here before, I don't think. I don't think he's ever been in a cup final. Um, obviously, he's been in big games before, you know, with, with Bournemouth's promotions and keeping them in the league. And he'll, he'll have been part of, you know, big, big games where he's, you know, on the build-up to the game, had a lot of time to think about it and, and struggling and maybe deliberating over his best 11. But he, he's, he's a good manager. He's a solid manager. Um, he, he benefited a lot from the... The new the new bounce that the the Newcastle got um, back end of last season beginning of this um, with the new ownership in place and and I think he he definitely was was a good man in charge to make make the most of that um, I did predict that after the World Cup that they would drop off a little bit they have um, they've, they've drawn a lot of games they don't look the same dangerous side that they did and they're struggling to find their edge a little bit and you know before the game I was sort of teetering on whether United, Newcastle, not quite sure, you know, where do I go? You know, who's going to be up for it more? But now Pope's out. I think it's, um, you know, I think it's you definitely have to say that it favours Manchester United. But in terms of Eddie Howe, I think he'll just be doing what he normally does. It, you know, it's all he knows ultimately. He'll be keeping his players fresh. I don't think they'll be going too hard in training. He'll be resting a few for the weekend. It's a very big game, not just for him and for the team, but for the city as well. Um, and I think he'll just be wanting to keep them calm and as relaxed as possible and let them know that, you know, it's not the end of the world if they don't win. Just go out there and, and give it you know, the, the best performance that they can. So, yeah, I, I don't think he'll change much. I think he'll stay relatively calm um, and I think he'll, uh, you know, I, I don't think they'll win, but I think that's that's the best strategy for him to to go into that go into that game. Okay, in just a few moments' time. Whoa, we'll... whoa, 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 whoa! Let's let's very quickly put our, our, our put out there a two 0 Manchester United win within ninety minutes. Mm. You've got to put your you've got to put your names to yeah, it. I didn't know if you wanted to, room. based upon the fact we're about to do the locks, and I didn't know if we were it's allowed fine. to include we'll get, them we'll in. We'll get then. Paul's later, mate. But this Paul, is allowed, are we so allowed to include I, them in ours? No, just no, I, I just want you to put your prediction. That's all. Yeah, I just want you to put your name to a prediction. Had FA Cup, so I didn't know if you'd be allowed to go with uh, the FL Cup as well. But go on then, uh, Kemp. Yeah, you, you can, you can. But you can, but yeah, I just want to score. Um, yeah, so I am gonna say I think it'll be a very cagey affair. Uh, I can see it being one nil United. And are you ready for this? Wow, Veghorst. <laughs> my boy, my uh, boy. If you haven't gone for him as your scorer this week, I'm going to be very disappointed now. <laughs> um, I'm going to go, I think it's going to be 3-0 United. I don't think there's enough firepower in Newcastle's side at the moment to stop United from getting a clean sheet. And I think the way that David De Gea has been playing these last couple of days, 
um, the last couple of weeks, should I say, sorry. I think uh, I'm going to put it down to a 3-0 win to United. Interesting. Well, uh, we'll review it next week. We will. In just a few moments' time, then we'll be back to see how Paul Martin gets on as the eighth person to tackle the listener lock-in. Welcome back to episode 33 of Loaded Sport. It's now time for the eighth person to tackle the listener lock-in. Welcome in, Paul Martin. Paul, welcome to Loaded Sport. Hello, guys. Happy to be here. How, How are you doing? Are you, mate? you okay? Very well, you? Yeah, good, thank you, mate. You're not bad. Are you ready for your listener lock-in? Ready. Yeah. How are you? Yeah, yeah, research. Get it above the 16%. Yeah, you've done your research. <laughs> you've done the research. Yeah. It, it don't it don't matter, does it? Research or not, <laughs> everything's going the same. Have you uh, have you left Gazit Pub this evening to uh, to come and join us, or how is he? Um, I've not heard from him today, so I, I don't know what he's been doing. To be honest, he's probably saving up for her birthday. So bless him, he's a changed man. I won't go that far, but <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Let's uh, let's save that one. That's uh, that's a very long segment. If we get into that, so Aggie, I'll let you crack on, mate. Yeah, Paul, first of all, just tell us who it is you support and why. For all my sins, I'm a Man United fan and it's just Go been on, passed lad. down through the generations, really. My granddad was and I was. Love that, love that. Uh, it, naturally, it, it's going to pose a couple of questions. In our, in our football segment, we've just been talking about the EFL Cup final. Um, I'm not asking you for a score prediction because that is going to be one of your predictions uh, once we get into the, uh, the competition side of it, so we'll save that, but in terms of Manchester United's development, where they were, where they've been over the last few seasons, it's the first cup final, it's the first available trophy of the season, and Manchester United have a 50-50 shot of winning it. Where do you think that, that stands in terms of what that will do for the team, what that will do for the club? Uh, because, you know, Eric's come in, they've been absolutely fantastic, and they've won the first trophy that's available. What do you think that that will do, and what do you think that will say about the work that's been put in so far this season? I think season? It's, going to spur, it's going to spur the team on for next season. I mean, there's talk of a title challenge this year. It's not going to happen. Now, are, you, are you out of the camp? It, it's not going to happen. I think Arsenal are going to take it. Um, I think second's up for grabs. Yeah. But I think next season is when you'll see a true Eric Ten Hag team once he's got another couple of players in, a decent centre-forward. Spare him on. He'll have a trophy behind him. So I'm fully confident. Hang on a minute. One. Fucking whoa, back, whoa, back, whoa, back. Yeah. What do you mean a decent centre forward? <laughs> Rashford's one, not Cam. really. A, Rashford's not. No, really I'm not talking about Rashford, mate. He's playing that left hand side. How dare you talk about my boy Valverde like that? Really, mate? He's fucking Raygos. He's a Carter. You want to get in Chesterfield? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hang on a minute. This is outrageous. Let's not just defend everyone. You're not just about scoring goals. It's about linking up play, working back, pressing. Mark Weghorst is the perfect perfect player for United at the moment. Mm, Not convinced. Oh, mate. I'm not convinced. I'm disappointed. But anyway, carry on. Uh, Right, Right, so. so, Go on, sorry. Go on. No, no. Don't want to interrupt your answer. So um, you are taking on the listener lock-in this week. You've got a very high score of two out of six to beat. Have you listened to many of the uh, the past people's having a, having a go? Have you got a kind of an idea of how you're going to approach this? Uh, not really, no. Excellent. So, uh, <laughs> I'm completely blind, to be honest. Not as planned as the rest. So hopefully this gives a, re- a reverse uh, result for you. So 
excited? You feel a bit confident about your choices? I think I've got a good shout. Okay, so we'll, we'll oh, get everyone things... said that. Everyone said that, and then come early next week, we'll just be slating your poll like everyone else. So get ready That's for right. it. They all finish on zero in the end, don't they? So we'll uh, kick things off. Um, so, Paul, as the guest, you get to go first, which means, first of all, we are looking for a lock team. So a team you are most confident on a game between Friday and Sunday to get a win from the Premier League down to the National League. And you said I could have the cup final. You can have yep, the cup final have as cup long final. as it's within 90 minutes. Yeah, I think United will win that in 90 minutes easily. Is that your lock? That's my lock. Oh, I love it. Wow. I love it. Okay. Talk talk us through it then, because that obviously kind of spoils which way you're going to lean on the scoreline, but talk us through why you think that, that that's the result you're most confident in this weekend. Newcastle just hit a bad patch. They've got Nick Pope out now. Um, just more confident than usual that United will get a result there. I like it. But just to clarify, if Manchester United do win, but it's after extra time or penalties, the lock will be a uh, incorrect answer. It has to be within the 90 minutes. But I can live with that. Yeah, it's fine. I can I live think... with that. I lifting a trophy at the end of it and I've lost my lock. Yeah, you'll take that, I'm sure. As much as I will too, mate. As much as I will too. But Aggie, the, the wheel is uh, got less entries this week. Give me some hope because I got my lock wrong this week. And, and as Kent mentioned, it's very rare that I do that, and that was only because my first three choices have been taken. So give me a bit of love this week, please. Um, well, unfortunately, it's not you first. But for the first time in loaded sport, I get to go first. <sighs> oh, my God. I know. It's exciting. And now I'm sport for choice. So I don't know which way to go. Um, I think I'm going to go with Wrexham to beat Dorkin at home. My first choice, you motherfucker. Uh, Wrexham are five points off first, pl- first place with two games in hand. Uh, they've lost once in the league since the 2-0 defeat to Chesterfield in August. And in the reverse fixture at Dorkin, they won by five goals to nil. So uh, <laughs> Can't say fairer than that, can you? They were, my, they were my first choice. Little spoiler alert for you, Aggie. I do need to see what they'll be, who I'm going for in last man standing this week. I, I can't fault you at all for taking that as the uh, top choice. I will be joining you with those in last man standing this week. I just wait until after Thursday to be able to tell you. Um, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. next up on the wheel is Kemp. Oh, oh for fuck's sake. baby, baby, baby. Um, yeah, you mentioned there about last man standing. Uh, we all have a little tipple on last man standing at times. And this week, I've gone for Notts County on my last nice. man standing there, playing Dagenham and Redbridge at home. As you mentioned there, they are top of the National League. And I'm going to follow very closely my uh, my last man standing prediction and go with Notts County at home against Dagenham and Redbridge as my lock of the week. Fair one, mate. Live on BT Sport as well, so I'm sure you'll be cheering them on. They've got a lot at stake there in that game with them being, as you say, your lock and your last man standing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big time, big time. So, All Skin, in. have you got a backup you can choose? Well, I had two backups ready, so I'll I'll take my, my second pick behind Wrexham, and that is Burnley to beat Huddersfield. They were my first. Um, yeah, very, very, very mm. good. And I heard the gas from Kemp, and I hear the moans, and, and the, the only reason that's there is because the man, the myth, the legend that is Neil Warnock is now um, in charge of Huddersfield. And to be honest, I did think about it. I did second-guess it purely on that matter, but... I do need to take my emotions and personal feelings out of it. (laughs) And uh, I have to say that I'm confident in that. Uh, Burnley have only lost two out of the last 18 games. Uh, They've won, what, 15 of those 20 games. Huddersfield are still in not the best of form. Yes, they beat Birmingham, but I think travelling to to Burnley is a a bit of a different kettle. And as much as I think Warnock will help Huddersfield survive, 
I do think this is a, a bit of a different gap. There's 42 points between them in the league table, and no matter, you know, no amount of phenomenal uh, pre-match speeches and inspirations will uh, be enough to get Huddersfield a result this weekend. I think so. Yeah, Burnley for me. Just to strengthen your argument a little bit there, do you know the last time Burnley lost a home game in the league? Go on. 22nd of May against Newcastle in the final Premier League game of the season. There you go. So, yeah, Vincent Company, absolutely phenomenal job. Uh, at the start of every season, I always have a team to win the Premier League, team to get promoted from Championship mm. League 1, League 2, Acker and Burnley were my pick at the start of the season. And, yeah, I think I've nailed that so far. And they're still in great form. But they're not stopping... Middlesbrough are the top form team at the moment, and we've said enough about them recently. But Burnley still do sit second in the uh, in the form table for both the last five and ten games, and they're top for the last fifteen games. So they're showing absolutely no signs whatsoever of sh- slowing down in their pursuit to get back to the Premier League. So yeah, more than confident. Now, with and you that. mentioned there at the start of the season that they were your prediction that they weren't a sure thing. You know that yeah. Sean Dyche had gone; he'd been there for so long. Vincent Kompany's come in. He's now an experienced manager in England. And, you know, he's, he's talking about how he wants to change the style at Burnley and everyone's sort of snorting and laughing at him, saying, you know, oh, Burnley's long ball. Burnley always has been. But, yeah. you know, the credit that you have to give to Vincent Kompany, he's come in. He's not only top of the league by God knows how many points now because the mighty blades have dropped a few <laughs> points. But um, but he's, he's changed the style. He's changed the feeling around the place. And you can't give him enough credit because, like I say, they definitely weren't a sure thing for promotion at the start of the season, so you've most definitely nailed that one, mate. Well, just to very quickly answer your question, they're ten. Uh, sorry, they're twelve points ahead of Sheffield United. They've scored the most in the Championship season uh, this season, and they've conceded the least in the Championship this season. So that tells you absolutely everything. They, they've been pretty much perfect, you mm. know, top to bottom, back to front with with those stats. So yeah, I, I'm confident enough. Okay, let's move on to scorer. So Paul, we return to you for the first choice. Uh, person that you feel is most confident going to score a goal between Friday and Sunday's games? Not biased at all, Marcus Rashford. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, I'd say break it down, but his recent form says enough. But do you not think at some point he's due a little bit of a quieter run? Not with the form he's in, though. He can't seem to miss at the minute. Okay. That's it. He, can't, he yeah. just can't seem to miss, so I think he's going to fire us to a trophy. Fair enough. Take it. There you go. Uh, so, in snake format, Skin, you get to go first on the scorer. Great news, mate. And I'm going to go to a man that is a bit of a cult hero within the uh, loaded sport world, uh, mainly via me trying to pick him all the time. But it is um, Macaulay Langstaff. I reckon you've took uh, Kemp's there. From, <laughs> he does like a, a lock and scorer combination. But yeah, Langstaff, 32 goals in the National League so far in 34 games. Paul Mullin for Wrexham, quite rightly, has got a lot of attention, a lot of the plaudits uh, in terms of what he's done for Wrexham this season. But Langstaff has scored six more goals than him. Um, in his last three games, he's scored seven goals. Um, and it's been, what, I think he's scored in six out of his last seven games as well. So absolutely phenomenal. Completely agree with Kemp in terms of Notts County being pretty confident. I think they've scored at least four goals in the last three games. So they're pretty much in absolutely prime form and, and they're currently ahead of Wrexham in the National League by a, well, I'd say a comfortable amount of points, but Wrexham do have games in hand. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going back to the well that is Macaulay Langstaff to score this weekend. OK, Kemp? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to... Um, you mentioned there Paul Mullin. Um, Paul Mullin. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> yeah, he was my backup. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wrexham are uh, red-hot favourites to win that game. 
Um, for me, for the locks, it was between Wrexham and Notts County and, and, and actually between Langstaff and Mullin to score the goal. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take Paul Mullin. Um, I must admit, when Wrexham played against Sheffield United in the FA Cup, I went to the game at Bramall Lane. Um, Paul Mullin, and, and I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm over-exaggerating, but if he plays for a championship side, he's not out of place. You know, the fact that he's playing in the National League is absolutely beyond me. Um, so yeah, I can see him putting a few past uh, Dorking. I think it is this weekend. So he's my uh, he's my scorer of the week for Mullin. It amazes Just me that he ended very, up at Wrexham. Very... Go on, sorry, mate. Go on. I was gonna say, it amazed me that he ended up at Wrexham because uh, last season mm. he finished as League Two's top goal scorer, got to League One, then moved to Wrexham. Yeah. Now, the, that's just why I wanted to very quickly jump in there because, yes, there's the money side of it and everything else, but we know the project that is Wrexham. If a championship team did come in for Paul Mullen in the summer, mm-hmm. it'd be interesting to see where that would go, I think. We don't need a massive discussion about it, but at some point you think a sort of a bigger team would try and you know get him away I mean, from have, Wrexham. I'd have thought it? that with Langstaff as well with with Notts County like you say 32 goals this season. And... Yeah, but Langstaff's a different equation because you know I think if a championship team and again we're not spending too much time on it but I think if a championship team comes in for Langstaff I think he goes. If the money's oh, right, right he goes immediately. But the question is and Dawson pro, you know poses it quite well. There's no sign of Wrexham slowing down. The chances are they're going to go up and up and up again. So um would Paul Mullin say, you know what, now I'm committed to the project, I'm happy in Wrexham? Or if, let's say, for example, a mid-table championship team came in for him, what would he do? It's an interesting talking point. And let us know if you are on the Loaders Sport community page what, what you think would happen if, if a championship team in the summer, a mid-table championship de- team did come in for Paul Mullin. OK. Um, I've somehow still got all three of my goal-scoring options available, which makes me think that oh, well. I've made awful picks this week. Um, but I'm going to go with my first choice, and that is Ollie Watkins. For Aston Villa um, against Everton. I know Everton seem to have solidified defensively ever so slightly since Tuan Dice took over, but Ollie Watkins has scored in all four of his last four games, including goals against both Man City and Arsenal, who are set to be defensive uh, forces. So I think up against Everton, he's going to get himself on the score sheet. Even if Villa don't walk away with all three points, I think he's going to get himself on the score sheet at some point. So I'm going to stand by Ollie Watkins as my choice this week. Right. Play, mate. It's a bit different, but I like it. Um, Paul, over to you for the wild card. So as long as they are not the bookies' favourite, you can have them as your wild card this weekend. Imagine if it goes Newcastle now. Well, so, yeah. I think Forrest are going to do West Ham at, uh, uh, in London. Okay. Interesting. Talk, talk us through why you think that. Hey, David Moyes is a dead man walking there. He's lost the dressing room. So saying if they don't win this weekend, they're going to get a. He's going to lose his job, and I think that. That signing of Kalor Navas is just galvanised the team, bringing in a world-class keeper like him. It's galvanised the entire team, and they've been they've had some decent results since they've had him. Really coming into yeah. a bit of form, and West Ham are losing it a bit. Forrester four to one, so definitely an eligible uh, wildcard pick. It's an interesting one, that mate. Okay, yeah, I'm really, really confident there. Like it. Good, good call. Um, right, when I checked mine on Wednesday. I just want to confirm that mine was a wild card. And if it's me first, I'm going to go with it. So I'd like you to check it whilst I'm saying it. I'm ready. I'm going for Millwall away against Stoke. Interesting. Millwall are in great form, you know. Let's, uh, let's they weren't the favourite at the yeah, time. It's a wild card. No, it's a wild card. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a wild card. Thank the you reason I say that is because that was my choice. <laughs> oh, motherfucker. 
Um, Millwall in fifth, like you say, took a point from Burnley midweek, uh, beat Sheffield United last weekend. That's the top two sides out of the way. In some great form, like you say, making their way into the playoffs at the moment. Still got a game in hand on some of the sides around them. Um, Millwall, I think, are a great shout away from home against Stoke, who aren't really doing too great themselves, just outside of relegation, trying to keep themselves heads above water at the moment. So, uh, yeah, Millwall's my shout. And thank you, Kemp, for backing that up. Uh, do you have a backup? <laughs> Uh, go to Dawson first, mate, because I'm struggling. Okay, <laughs> well, over to you that's, then, that's, that's not the game. That's not the game. Come on. Well, all right. Well, as long as you're all right for dead silence for a few minutes, then. <laughs> well, uh, fine. Paul, uh, Paul, who do you reckon is the uh, the best Manchester United signing um, of, of the season so far? Who do you think uh, two shadows of a doubt, Lisandro Martinez. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I thought maybe you might say Casemiro, but talk us through why you think that. This, this stick he got you know, from pundits like, say, Jamie Carragher about his height and the difference between playing in the Netherlands and the Premier League and blah, blah, blah. Clearly, he's, he's completely destroyed those opinions. But what's your thoughts on that? I just love how he's proved everyone wrong there. I mean, I said to you before, look at some of like previous centre-backs in history. In history. Not the tallest, but is anybody going to tell me that Carlos Puyol was too not tall enough or Fabio Cannavaro was exactly the same height? Ballon d'Or winner, the last defensive defensive Ballon d'Or winner in 2006. Exactly, he's an absolute hatchet man at back. Even Jamie Vardy called him a bully. Yeah. So, I think he's the best signing going. Casemiro, close second. Yeah, fair one, mate. I've I've got all the time in the world for for Lissandro, so uh, I'm not going to argue with you on that one. (laughs) Strangely enough, I had Casemiro on back of this year's shirt, so. I like it, I like it. Is that about you enough time, Kev? It has, it has. It's bought me just enough time. Thank you very much for that. I really appreciate you boys stepping in there and giving me a little bit of an assist. So thank you for that. I am going to go with Barnsley to beat Derby County. Interesting. So Barnsley are at 2-1 to one and Derby County at 13-10. to 10. I like that. So Barnsley are at home. Uh, I am surprised that Barnsley are the underdogs in this one. Derby have hit a little bit of a sticky patch um, in the last few weeks um, they've, they've won two of the last five lost two and drawn one but you know even though they are in the sort of still in the top five Barnsley are sixth just below them um, and, and they've won four of their last five and drawn one so my wild card is Barnsley to beat Derby County nice skin very interesting well thankfully both my first choice and my second choice wild card are still available so I'm going to go with my first choice and I'm quite surprised this is still here but it is Southampton to win away at Leeds on Saturday. It is the epitome of a six-pointer. Leeds 19th, Southampton 20th. Both have recently sacked their managers. And to be honest, Southampton aren't in the, the worst of forms. They've won three out of the last five away games, only losing away at Newcastle and Brentford, who, as we know, are you know pretty strong sides. So... I'm not. I'm not going to say that I'm really, really confident that it will happen. But as far as wild cards go, I, I think they're, they're worthy of being in the conversation. So, yeah, I'll take Southampton away at Leeds this weekend. Good call. Uh, those are the locks and the wild cards. So, over to the second part of the listener locking challenge. Skin, take it away. So, Paul, as always, you've given us your locks, your scorer, your wild card. You have had first choice on all of those. So far this season, people are three out of 19 on those, which is absolutely shocking. But I think much, um, you know, went in and off on Monday or earlier this week. So I won't go any more into it. 
but now we're on to the score predictions, mate. You've already ruined the fact that you think Manchester United will win with inside 90 minutes against Newcastle. But what do you think the score in that game will be? After I think it will minutes? be 3-0. 3-0, very interesting. So really, really confident that it'll be a really, really comfortable win. Yep. Especially with Loris Carriers in there. Yeah, true, true. Um, your second game, mate, is into the Premier League. Leicester, a team in form. I know they lost comfortably, I suppose, on the scoreboard against United, but there were times where they had really great chances to, to take the lead and they've recently absolutely battered Spurs as well. They're at home against Arsenal and we've, we've had all the conversations about the title race, but as a massive game for them. What do you think the score will be between Leicester and Arsenal? I think Arsenal nick it 2-1. 2-1, I like it, I do like it. What are your thoughts? Arsenal, Man City, you said you can't see Man United winning the league, so put your name to who you think is going to lift the Premier League title come May. Arsenal. I can't see City winning it. They're just getting that element of inconsistency about them now. And I think Arsenal have had a little blip, but nah, not for me. I think they'll breeze it now. Breeze and it there has been a goal at Old Trafford. Do you want to Tell us by who or Anthony. Oh, what a boy! That's two-one United. Then, as it stands, United are going through. Absolutely brilliant. Let's go. I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> well done, mate. You can listen back to that and know that you had your moment. So, uh, <laughs> well done. Um, and your third and final game that will complete your your six potential uh, points are available is the uh, London derby on Sunday. Tottenham versus Chelsea. Tottenham either winning games or losing them a bit inconsistent Chelsea an absolute dire straits how can you see that going on Sunday I think Spurs 2-0 interesting okay why is that I just can't see Chelsea, where, where Chelsea get the next win from or the next goal from to be fair yeah, it's, it's not going too great from you're relying on that 20 year old up front the Fafana is it for 20 year old to try and get them out of mess and it's not really working for him is it no, not at all. We, we've had enough discussions about Chelsea where I don't think anyone's going to disagree with you on that. It's uh, it's going to be a big summer coming up for them. So, just to confirm, mate, your listener locking entries, you lock Manchester United to win within 90 minutes in the EFL Cup final against Newcastle. You've also got Marcus Rashford to score. You've got Nottingham Forest as your wildcard to win away yep. at West Ham. You've got Manchester United to win 3-0 against Newcastle. You've got Arsenal to win away at Leicester 2-1. Tottenham to beat Chelsea 2-0 as always mate we will review that in next week's review show and I'm sure the lads will back me up in saying that we hope it's a much more positive outcome that we get to talk about but uh, well, we're quickly losing hope so we, we will wait and see but what I'm going to do mate is I'm going to ask you one final question it's a question that we ask every single one of our entries other than Tina which I do very much apologise for uh, his answer would have been Muhammad Ali which is very different and would have been a good discussion but, Paul, who is your sporting hero and why? Probably still Sir Alex Ferguson. Like, the only consistent, like, throughout my sporting childhood. But so much success to that club. And, yeah, yeah Sir Alex Ferguson all day long. What a boy. Great answer, mate. Did all you see long. the pictures of um, him and Eric Ten Hag sharing dinner together in a corner of a restaurant just... I'd have loved to have been sat at the table at a nearby you know, table. interesting because I can't, I can't see any of the previous managers apart from David Moyes doing that. Yeah. Maybe Solskjaer, but he was just nothing more than... in that conversation. That'd he be worry, really. What those yeah. two boy, what those two blokes know about football, you know, forgot about football, we'll never bloody know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Being a fly on the wall in that conversation would be very, uh, very interesting, very inspiring. 
Do you reckon we could get either of them to do locking next season? They'd probably still only get one out of six. <laughs> yeah, yeah probably, probably, probably. But Paul, thank you very much, mate. It's been a pleasure speaking to you and uh, talking about a different team other than Derby. But uh, yeah, we'll review it next week, mate. And, and the best of luck to you. Uh, Thank we you. We'll be back shortly to discuss this weekend's return of the Six Nations. Welcome back to episode 33 of Loaded Sport. It's now time to start looking towards this weekend's Six Nations, the return to Six Nations action with both Ireland and Scotland at the top of the table. We'll all be pleased to see that Ireland currently sits in first place, considering all three of us on the Loaded Sport podcast today predicted before it started that Ireland would walk away winners. And to do that, they've also this weekend got to beat Italy away from home. Italy currently in fifth place with just one point, having lost both of their opening games. So we're going to start by taking some predictions. I think this one's going to be straightforward, so it's a nice easy one to start us off with. Uh, Skin, Italy, Ireland. Got to be Ireland, hasn't it? They beat France, they'll beat everyone. I think it'll be a, a grand, grand slam year for the Irish. So yeah, Ireland all over. Kemp? Yeah, not going to disagree. As you mentioned, the pre-tournament favourites. Uh, Italy, again, are whipping boys off the Six Nations and have been for a very long time. Ireland will win and win extremely comfortably. And yeah, agree, they'll, they'll do the Grand Slam again. I'm going to agree with you and go with Ireland, of course, as they were my pre, uh, pre-tournament prediction. Uh, next game, Wales against England. England, of course, under new management, won their second game after losing their first. So a bit more momentum in their favour. Wales currently sat at the bottom of the table without a win so far in the tournament, without a point so far in the tournament as well. So, uh, Kemp, I'll start with you this time. England against Wales. I think it's going to be a really interesting game. Both teams are in a little bit of a transition period. Um, Again, Wales under new stewardship. Um, England in that little bit of transition as well. I think England are going to come away with the win. I don't think it's going to be the most high-level rugby um, in, in in, in comparison to the other two fixtures when you've got Ireland and then France and Scotland on show. Um, but I think England will sneak it. I think they'll win by uh, maybe a, a try. Um, but uh, try. Yeah, I'm going to go try. I'm going to go with England to beat Wales, but it's going to be a close one. It's going to be a good game. I'm looking forward to watching that one. Skin? I mean, Kemp's absolutely perfect. They nailed it there in terms of the transition period. But if I'm putting my name to a team, England scrape it. Yeah. I think the momentum from the second win, like you say, with them being in a transition, I think now they're starting to find their feet a little bit. I think England are going to get the win away against Wales, who so far in this tournament haven't really pulled a penny trees and just seem to be struggling. So what people before the tournament didn't really think would be as big of a game has turned into what looks like it's going to be a huge game for both nations. France after losing against Ireland two weeks ago. Scotland currently in second place, having won both of their games so far. Their first real test of the tournament, you could probably say, up against the France side that will be wanting to right the wrongs from two weeks ago. Scotland with a point to prove if they can get a win. So, Dawson, I'm going to start with you on this one. France have home advantage with the game being played at the Stade de France in Paris. And, yeah, I think... Fucking yeah, outstanding pronunciation. Yeah, I, won't go into, I won't go into detail as to why it's been an absolutely shocking day for me today. But that pronunciation of Stade de France 
has cheered me up <laughs> no fucking end, mate. So thank you so much for that. Honestly, mate, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. You are more than welcome. Uh, <laughs> um, just an, an episode there. Have a good weekend, everyone. No, I'm joking. Uh, yeah, Scotland currently second in the table. France haven't had the best of starts, sitting at fourth with five. But yeah, you, you've still got to lean towards France getting the win. Full credit to Scotland and what they've done so far this tournament. But I'll, I'll go with France with getting their Six Nations uh, tournament back on track. Kemp? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, also mentioned there, Scotland, you know, pretty much thrashed Wales and and and, and beat England um, in it by a fairly close margin in the first week. But France, as you say, they've got home field advantage. They're a fantastic team themselves. There's no flies on them whatsoever. Um, the only reason they lost the second game is, you know, because it's Ireland and Ireland have beaten everybody this year by the looks of things. So yeah, I'm going to go France against Scotland, but it's they're going to nick it just about. Um, but I think this week, you know, the third week of, of, of the five, um, apart from the Italy Ireland game, I think the Wales and England game and France and Scotland games are the most competitive games so far. I think so. Going to be a good weekend of rugby for all the uh, the big rugby union fans out there. So we'll see. Adam, what are your thoughts? I'm going to be that guy, and I'm going to go with Scotland to win away against of France. You are. Of course, I am. Um, reason being, I've no fucking idea. Uh, no, France lost two weeks ago. Scotland unbeaten so far. I think this is good that, like I said at the beginning, this is going to be their real test. So they're going to go up against this with a point to prove. But after the form that they've been in, they're going to feel like this is their chance to go out there and show that they can be amongst Ireland and, and some of the better sides in the Six Nations, including France, of course, as well. So I think that's going to be enough hunger and desire for them to get the win, albeit away from home. Why bloody not? Um, so, yes, those are the predictions for the Six Nations. Look forward to speaking about those on Monday afternoon um, with the two of you as well. In just a few moments' time, we'll be back for another edition of Kempe's Combat Corner. Welcome back to episode 33 of Loaded Sport. It is now time for another edition of Kempi's Combat Corner. Yeah, back once again with the Renegade Master. We're back in Kempi's Combat Corner this evening. Um, some fantastic fights that were reviewed from last weekend and some uh, and some good fights coming up this weekend as well. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention the um, more YouTube-based fight this weekend the one that a lot of maybe casual or YouTube boxing fans are, are, are looking forward to, and that is Jake Paul. I was going to say his, his nickname then, but... No, say can't, it. Can't no, come on, say it. it, say it. Oh, Jake, the problem child, Paul, and Tommy TNT Fury, and now I'm just going to go and be sick in the toilet. Mm. Um, yeah, Saudi, is it Saudi Arabia that they're fighting it in? It is, mate, weekend? correct. Yep, yeah, about, I think it's about evening. half six in the main card. Sunday starts. evening, 20 quid on BT Sport, which is just, if you pay that, you, you're an absolute numpty. Um, but but it's a big fight and there's no denying it. You know, I was a little bit hesitant, and you boys all know about covering this on Kempi's Combat Corner. Um, I am a combat sports fan, have been for many, many years, and wanted to keep it as combat-focused as humanly possible. Um, but 
you know, what what can you do? You're in a position whereby um, you've got to mention these things when they come up. Just to quickly interject here, Dawson, and I want your live reaction to this. <laughs> I, I know, I've seen it, man. I've seen it, man. I've seen it. Casemiro has booked, has been booked, and has I've got a yellow it, card. I've so seen it. So congratulations, um, and uh, everybody else who's listening will have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> I've seen but, it, mate. Uh, but yeah, um, we've got to talk about it. It's YouTube boxing, it's finest, but it's going to be an interesting fight. So Dawson, I suppose the only thing to do is, is sort of come to you with a prediction and just see what you think is going to happen in this big social media fight this weekend? Look, uh, I know last week we discussed the the, the, the analysis or the punditry of, of Wood versus Lara and you know, I pretty much nailed it, but I, I don't want to present myself as someone that has any kind of extensive combat knowledge. Uh, I'm here as more of a soundboard for Kent to sort of bounce off and this will probably annoy the purists of the world like yourself, Kemp, and, and other people that, you know, have a, a big love for boxing, MMA, any other kind of combat sport. But as much as I won't be watching it, the occasion does intrigue me, mm. I, I must say. And, and I kind of suppose that that is the point, and it's one of the reasons why the the fights have been so successful in the fact that I know there's a question mark about people taking a fall that is Jake Paul's faced, and will Tommy do the same, all that kind of stuff. But I think push comes to shove. I do. I want to say I do think that the results are legitimate, despite the you know slightly questionable sort of contact on hits against, say, an Anderson Silva side and all that kind of stuff. But it it does intrigue me that, and I, I think it's more the fallout of the result as opposed to the actual result or the content of the fight. Because if a Tommy Fury wins. What does Jake Paul do next? Is that his mm. wall? And people say, look, you've had your moment, fuck off. Jake Paul does win against someone that is an out-and-out boxer, albeit not you know, a successful one or someone that has fought sort of top-caliber fighters or anything like that. But Jake Paul wins. Then what does he do next? So, like I said, for me, as someone outside looking in, it, it, it is intriguing, but more for what happens after as opposed to what's happened before or mm. during the fight. I don't know if yeah. you can see where I can cut. Where no, I'm mate, you make, mate, you mate, you're absolutely spot on. You make a very, very good point in the sense that, you know, what 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 annoys me and upsets me is the sense that, you know, um, I think if Jake Paul wins this, the WBC are on about putting him in their top fifteen ranking in the world at, at the cruiserweight division, which is absolutely ridiculous um, to to see the level that Jake Paul is 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 boxing at. And don't get me wrong, Jake Paul can punch you can you know anybody who watches combat sports who's watched combat sports in the past can see that jake paul he, he knows what he's doing he can throw a punch he's got the basics you know the very very basics but he's got the basics you know where they need to be um what you've just mentioned there is is absolutely spot on in the sense that you know they've built a story and a narrative around yeah. this you know if jake paul wins you know what does Tommy Fury do? He's a Fury, that proud fighting boxing name. Um, what does he do? John John Fury and Tyson have said that he'll never box again and that he'll be banished from the family. And then you look at a Jake Paul, where if Jake Paul loses, you know, is that fight, that inevitable fight that hopefully he's going to have against KSI at one point, is that going to be as big as it was? So Jake Paul and Tommy Fury and a lot of these social media crossover YouTube fights. They're doing what boxing cannot do at this point in time and create a, an interesting narrative to bring in casual audiences to make people care about the fight. You know, nobody cares. You know, 
to the casual fight fan or the casual sports fan, like like yourself, Dawson, you'll admit that that you are. You know, Maurizio Lara against Lee Wood at the weekend. It was, you know, it's a world title fight, so obviously it's you know there's there's ramifications there, but it's not done anything to draw you in and, and to yeah. attract you to the fight. Whereas this one has, and is that because of the is that specifically because of the nature of their both of their backgrounds that Tommy was on Love Island, that he's a Fury, and that Jake Paul was, you know, Jake Paul is Jake Paul. I don't know, but a lot of the promotion, more than anything else, is doing a lot of what boxing won't do, and a lot of these fights are drawing more interest than actual world title boxing fights. So, I think it's I think you can look at it two ways. I think it shows the 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 the, 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 the where boxing struggles and where boxing is struggling at this point in time that a YouTuber is probably going to be one of the biggest selling pay-per-views of the entire year when it comes to a boxing event. But also, how good Jake Paul is, particularly Jake Paul, at marketing himself and at building up these fights. Because even though I don't particularly respect him as a boxer, because he isn't a boxer, he's a YouTube personality, but he's doing a lot. A lot of people and a lot of promoters can't do. So you have got to tip your hat to that and you've got to respect it, Dawson. And I completely understand where you're coming from. So... Well, we're just on this subject then. I'm going to get a prediction out of you, if that's okay. So, Absolutely, mate. Tommy Fury, Jake Paul. Um, Tommy Fury, is, you know, he's been boxing all his life, but Jake Paul's coming to the, to the sport and, and seemingly in his early career, in his young career, he's taken to it like a duck to water. So what are your predictions coming into the fight and, and who do you think is going to come away with the victory when, when all is said and done? The answer to that is I, I honestly don't know. Looking at it as a legitimate fight, and you know, I mentioned it a minute ago, like I don't think there are sort of bungs and stuff, but if there is, it's so hard to call because how do you call it? And, and looking at the bookies favourites, I am, I am surprised to see Jake Paul as the slight favourite in that fight. But again, looking at it legitimately, I, I would have to say you've got to expect Tommy Fury to win, given his background, given his upbringing, given the fact that he is a boxer, he has to win because you mentioned it, Kemp. You mentioned it a lot about the prestige of boxing and, and the sort of the state that the sport is in. Jake Paul winning doesn't do that conversation or opinion any favors. So mm. it, it's got to it's got to be Tommy Fury as the, as the winner for me. Yeah, and and it's a, I think it's the most fascinating fight that Jake Paul's taken part in in his career so far. He's it's the most fascinating fight for a long time, but for, mm. as you might say, but for, mm. for more wrong reasons than right. And, and yeah, that... no, you're absolutely spot on. You're spot on. And he's, you know, he's 6-0 and with four knockouts. Um, Tommy Fury is 8-0 and with four knockouts. So they've got the exact same amount of knockouts. Tommy's won a, a few more fights. Um, it's, it's very, very, very difficult to predict. Tommy Fury is an, he's not a good boxer. He might have the Fury name. He might have been doing it for a long, long time. Has he dedicated his life to boxing as, as other Furies? You know, his brother Tyson, more over than everybody else. Probably yeah. not. Has he focused on his social media and his, his Love Island, you know, and his businesses? More than that, probably yes. Um, is he a good boxer? No, he's not. He's, he's distinctly average, if, if at best. Um, but so is Jake Paul, and that's what makes it so interesting and so unique in the sense that like you say there Dawson it's a, it's a very very highly anticipated fight but for the wrong reasons which is a yeah. strange strange situation to be in um, I am not as uh, faithful as you that these fights are um, 
100% legitimate. I do think there is an element of, it's difficult to say without, you know, I'm just trying to sugarcoat it as best that I can. Um, there is an element of scripting, I think, to these fights. Um, boxing is a very, very murky sport. It's very murky waters in boxing a lot of the time, and it is, it, as is in a lot of combat sports. But when you get into this YouTube, Jake Paul type of environment, I think the, the waters become even muddier. So I think Jake Paul will win, and I think he will win by unanimous decision. And I don't think that that is a reflection on the quality of the boxers. I might sound like a bit of a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist here, <laughs> but, I think that's, but I think that's in the script. And I think that means that Tommy can walk away with it with his head held not high, but not as low as it would if he got knocked out. Um, yeah, but he, he knows that, won't he? Like, if we, if we live in a hypothetical world where yeah. there is a bung and there is a payoff and all that kind of stuff, like, he knows that. Obviously, the narrative will be different yeah. to reality. Yeah, of course. Because, yeah, well, and, it, yeah, and, you know, it's... ultimately, if I was Tommy Fury, you know, give me a few mil to lose on a points decision against someone that realistically is not going to, you know, he's not going to hurt you too bad. Um, and then you get to be a GQ model for the rest of your life because you're a good-looking fucker. You sort of take that, don't you? So, I'm, I'm, again, you know, it's it's one of them where boxing, there's murky waters in boxing, and I think with this YouTube social media Jake Paul type of thing, there's even murkier waters in that respect. So, I think there's more money to be made down the line if Jake Paul wins by unanimous decision, and they both come out of it looking fairly clean. So, I think that is the way that it's uh, that's the way that it's inevitably going to go. Um. I'm going to move on to now more legitimate forms of combat sports, if that's all right, in my opinion. And I'm going to briefly touch on um, Ryan Spann versus, and I'm going to butcher his name so badly, but Nikita Krylov. Uh, it's a light heavyweight event for the uh, in the UFC. Um, it is the main event. It is only a UFC Vegas card, which basically for the non-UFC and MMA fans, it's it's you know it's a, it's a a less promoted card. It's a less hyped up card basically and it's to set up uh, fights you know and, and try and make contenders basically the next contenders in the in, in the division and it's it's needed at the moment in the light heavyweight division it's a it's a bit of a um it's a bit of a, a, a shit show <laughs> it has been for quite a while since john jones moved up to heavyweight which i'm sure we'll discuss a little bit more in next week's preview show um yeah. it's it's been a little bit uh it's been a little bit strange in that division. Um, again, we've got uh, Nikita Krylov against Ryan Spann. Um, both top 10 contenders in the world at that at that weight. Uh, and I'm sure they will be wanting a, a real standout performance from, from either Krylov or, or Spann. So hopefully, you know, get the, get the, get them a, a new contender in the light heavyweight division, because, you know, that is, that is the big concern at the moment that there's not that many, heavy, you know, contenders in that division. Um, to challenge the new champion uh, Jamal Hill, so it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a good fight. Um, I, I don't know who wins it. To be quite honest with you, like I say, light heavyweight is a bit of a strange division at the moment, but they desperately need contenders in that division. So um, it's uh, it, it's going to be an interesting watch. Um, one thing I do want to touch on just before we sort of um, come out of Kempi's combat corner. Um, is the decision that was made by the WBC this week, which was around the Conor Ben situation. So to provide a little bit of context to what's been happening with Conor Ben, 
um, in the last few weeks. Conor Ben is a, a young um, prospect, upstart in the UK boxing scene. He's any older um, boxing fans will, will recognise the name Ben. He's Nigel Ben's son. Um, yeah. he, he is a welterweight who was fairly highly ranked in, in, in recent memory uh, as a welterweight in that division. He was meant to be fighting Chris Eubank Jr. a matter of months ago, and unfortunately the fight was uh, pulled due to the fact that Conor Ben had tested positive in a VADA test for clomiphene. Clomiphene is a, um, a drug that is basically a women's fertility drug, and a lot of people would suggest, and, and a lot of people have said, and it is absolutely true, that this drug can mask the, um, the the signs of use of illegal steroids. Therefore, it's actually an illegal substance itself. Um, Conor Ben has been cleared by the WBC this week and has been reinstated to the WBC's welterweight rankings um, after his two positive drug tests have been put down to the intake of eggs. Um, there are trace amounts of clomiphene in eggs, and that is, is widely known. Um, but apparently the reason for this for this positive test is because of a highly elevated consumption of eggs during the training camp for obviously protein purposes for Conor Ben. So, Dawson, I don't know how close you've been to this story, but again, you know, the WBC have, have cleared him. Um, UK anti-doping hasn't come to this conclusion as of yet. But the difficulty is, is that he didn't fail on the UK um, British Boxing Board of Control tests. He actually failed on the VADA test, which is what is, is, is implemented by WBC if you're ranked in the top 15. So it's a messy one and it's a real grey area. But what, what do you think? What are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts on the fact that he's been reinstated by the WBC, but he's not yet been given his British Boxing Board of Control um, licence back? It's a strange one. It's a little bit of a farce and, again, doesn't bode well for anyone that is concerned about the current state of boxing, does it, really? Like, no. No. But, again, no. only you can answer that as a, you know, as a traditional fan, as a, as a genuine fan of someone that does mm. keep their eyes on the, the, this segment yeah. is named after you, mate, because you are, yeah. you know, you are a fan of, of all combat sports and fights come first, but mm. it just... Again, I always try and look at it as an outside looking in, or at least if I'm in that window, I try and play the devil's advocate of what the the opposite opinion can be. But it just seems like, A, a little bit of a farce. B, like those in control of the sport don't really know what's happening. Not necessarily they don't know what they're doing, but they don't really have actual control over it. And it's like it's like people are waiting around, waiting for someone else to make a decision that nobody else is going to make. And, mm. it, yeah, it just doesn't look great on a sport that you know, during the 90s, during the mid-2000s, was just, it, it hooked me. I was into it. Everyone was into it. It was, it was amazing. Mm. It, it would, mm. you know, mainstream coverage all the time, no matter what, whereas now it is just the top, top, top elite fights. And yeah, it's the fights like that that could put a bit of a spotlight on things that then don't happen. And yeah, it, yeah. yeah, the short answer is it just seems like a little bit of a farce, really. Yeah, and that's the upsetting thing for me, as you mentioned there. You know, I'm a fan of all combat sports, boxing being one of them. Um, I've been a boxing fan for many, many years. And when the fights get in the ring and it's a good competitive fight between two competitive boxers, 
you know, there's 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 very few sports that engage me more than boxing does. But everything outside of the ring, the the politics, the fact that there's five world champions, the fact that there's different bodies, different organisations, different people doing different tests on different fighters. The WBC have said that he's clear to fight, you know, and cleared of all of, of all wrongdoing. But the UK anti-doping agencies haven't, and it's just it's so disorganised, and there's so many people in boxing organisations and promoters and border controls that are just so in it for themselves, and that's where the UFC for me and and, and a lot of MMA companies, Bellator, One Fighting Championships included, that you know. It, it, it might, it's not perfect. You know, the UFC fighter paying the UFC is a big problem. But ultimately, if you want to fight in the US, UFC, you, you are subject to a USADA test. Okay, if you don't complete a USADA test and if you're not in the testing pool, where USADA can come and test you at any time of the day up to the fact that, you know, up until the time that you fight and indeed after that, um, then you, you don't fight. If you don't provide a sample or your sample is positive, you don't fight and you are banned for a significant period of time. There's no, there's no, there's not a line. There's no one single thing that's like, right, okay, this is your drug test, and, and if you fail it, that's it, you're not fighting. You know, the WBC have cleared him, but the UK anti-doping agencies haven't. But the UK anti-doping agencies didn't find the, the problem in the first place. Yeah. Um, this is what the WBC have said. They've said there was no conclusive evidence that Mr. Ben engaged in intentional or no ingestion of clomiphene. There were there were no failures in the procedures related to sample collection, sample analysis, or violations of Mr. Ben's B sample rights that would justify questioning or invalidating the adverse finding. Mr. Ben's documented and highly elevated consumption of eggs during the times relevant to the sample collection raised a reasonable explanation for the adverse finding. So, again, it says here, you know, while this is a positive step for Conor Ben to resume his career, you know, a until he proves his innocence with the UK anti-doping agencies, he's not going to do that in the UK and he's a UK fighter. And B, you know, even if he does continue his career and fight, you bank in a foreign country under a foreign board or Manny Pacquiao, as a lot of people have suggested, how much yeah. does a, how much of a stain and how much of a tarnish on his potential legacy and his potential career does this create around Conor Ben? Because let's be honest, he's not he's not out of the woods, is he? No. Definitely not, and it's not like he's created a big enough legacy for people to really care either way, and that's not a great thing. Like if he if he was a top top fighter that this had happened to, and people were having the conversation, like that shows the level that he's at. It's kind of like he's come out today, and it's like, well, what's going on? Mm. That that seems to be, again, that's just me looking outside in. That 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 seems to be my sort of opinion or perspective on it, and and that's never a good sign that. If people don't really care, yeah, you know, we we always talk about crowd reactions and stuff. Like, if people cheer, if people boo, that's something because you're getting a reaction. But if you're getting nothing, that's bad. And that's kind of how I feel about this. And again, tell me I'm wrong, and I've I've seen or looked at it mm. the wrong way. But if people don't care, that just says pretty much everything that you need to know about what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, no, and you're absolutely spot on. You know, ultimately, you, you mentioned there that you are a lot, of, a lot of the time. You know, we kept his combat corner a, a sounding board um, for what we talk about. But ultimately, that's not particularly a bad thing. You know, you can look at it and you can provide a different aspect and you can provide a different perspective on it because you're not technically a fighter fan. 
So yeah. you, you can look at it from an outsider's perspective and think, well, that doesn't make sense. Or actually, you can kind of put your neutral head on and say, well, actually, that does make sense. And you can provide that that devil's advocate role as as, as you you know as, as you do. So it's an interesting one. It's it's we'll see how it plays out. Um, it's it's a really really strange one. And I think the more, most important thing is is that I'm glad that the initial fight with with Chris Eubank didn't happen. Um, yeah. The the difference is between you know if you find somebody taking drugs in a hundred meter sprint or in football or something like that, it's not. Obviously, it's still not allowed and it's still cheating, it's still breaking the rules and you still still should be punished. But ultimately, we're talking about a sport here where people have unfortunately passed away. So yeah. the fact that, you know, anybody would use any sort of illegal drugs to, to give themselves a step ahead in these particular sports, um, it's it's a scary thought. And, um, and, and, and I hope that no matter what happens, you know, I'm not saying that Conor Ben is guilty and I'm not saying that he's innocent, but I think that the situation needs sorting one way or another. And hopefully, either way, um, that the standards will still continue. That if somebody is, has tested positive for a banned substance, they will always be banned, um, and, and they will always make sure that, that these people can't fight because it puts the opposition and, and everybody else in in the scenario in a very very dangerous dangerous position. And you know, especially with Chris Eubank Jr., he lost his brother not too long ago, Seb. Yeah. Um, so you know, if he would have gone in that fight and something terrible would have happened, you know. Chris Eubank Senior would have unfortunately lost two sons in a, in a fairly quick period of time. So it's, it's it's worth thinking about and it's a very, very difficult and sketchy part of the combat sports world that not a lot of people tend to give much attention to and I understand why, but I think it's it's um, pre- prevalent that we do talk about it here and hopefully that no matter what happens, we get to the bottom of this uh, situation with Conor Ben. Um, Dawson, thank you so much for joining me today on Kempi's Combat Corner. It's been a pleasure welcome, having mate. you. Um, and I look forward to reviewing the fights that take place this week um, <clears throat> and, uh, and previewing next week, not this week, next week's main event in the UFC, which is the return of John Bones Jones. Thank you very well, much, Adam. That'll be a big one. Yeah, man. Oh. Cheers, lads. Excellent insight as always. That is all we've got time for this week. We're back next week, of course, to review all this weekend's football action, of course, with another edition of Kempy's Comeback Corner as well. But Kemp, Skin, thanks very much for joining me. Enjoy your weekend. Cheers, lads. Have a good evening. See you later. Come on, United.